Please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and verse 7 will be our sermon text for this morning. And uh, just in case you're wondering, why are we skipping uh, three or four verses in the middle there? Uh, we'll, we'll be coming back. We're actually going to we're going to camp out in this text for a little while. So we'll be in Genesis 12, the first eight verses or so this week and next week and probably the week after. Uh, so we're not going to skip anything, I promise. Um, we'll come back to those verses. Uh, before we read them, though, this morning, uh, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus said in, in John 17 that your word is truth, and we pray that you would sanctify us uh, in the truth. Uh, we pray that you would sanctify us by your word, that you would shape and mold us by your word this morning, uh, by the work of your spirit, using your word to uh, work in our hearts and minds. Uh, Father, we, we come uh, submitting to you, submitting to your word, ready to hear, ready to listen, ready to be shaped, ready to believe, and ready to obey. And we pray that you would do that work in us uh, by your spirit this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3 and verse 7. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3, is one of the most important, if not the most important set of verses in the Bible. Now, that may sound strange to some of you. Uh, this is the Old Testament, after all. I mean, Jesus is not explicitly mentioned by name. I mean, surely the most important verses in the Bible are about the atonement, uh, I mean, think of Isaiah 53.6. I mean, that's in the Old Testament, but at least it's about the atonement. Isaiah 53.6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or 1 Peter 2.24, right, that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. Those are important verses, and they contain important truths apart from which, uh, apart from those verses and apart from those truths, we could not be saved. But apart from this verse or these verses in Genesis 12 and these truths, those truths would never have come about. See, this in Genesis 12 is the historical moment where God begins to enact his plan to send Jesus. Jesus begins here in God's promises to Abraham. Because of that, we are going to do something a little bit different today, and uh, 
what began as an introduction to a sermon on Genesis 12 kind of became its own sermon on how to think about Abraham. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to th- think of this as the introduction to the next two sermons. And this may seem a bit nerdy, uh, but, you know, me just kind of geeking out on biblical theology and principles of Bible interpretation. But really, this is important. Uh, when you read your Bible, when we get into the Abraham story, how do we relate to those people long ago? What does his story have to do with our story? Why are we going to spend months, because it will be months in the end, following the journey of Abraham, son of Terah? Well, we'll look at four things this morning. And the first three have to do with Abraham's uniqueness, and the last has to do with Abraham's example. First, God's promises are to Abraham and his seed. And let me say from the start, right, Abraham is unique. When people turn to the Bible, often their first instinct is to imitate Bible characters, and that's not always wrong, of course, though you have to be careful whom you imitate and how you imitate them. Uh, Samson is a good example of who not to imitate. Uh, David, the man after God's own heart, seems like a safe one to imitate, except when he's not. Every character, save God himself, of course, is flawed, even Abraham. But Paul, in the New Testament, taking, talking about Israel's time in the wilderness, says this in 1 Corinthians 10.6. He says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so it's not always wrong uh, to look at biblical characters as either positive or negative examples, as the case may be. And we will get to that with Abraham, but we can't start there. Before we do, it's important to note that Abraham is unique. Abraham lived in a day that was totally pagan. That that part's not unique. But Abraham alone was called out of that pagan world to follow God and begin a new people. Abraham was uniquely chosen. Think about it. It's estimated that there were 46 million people on earth in 2000 BC. But God chose Abraham to call Abraham, to bless Abraham. Abraham, to make Abraham the father of many nations. You can't imitate that. That can be said of no one else in history, past, present, or future. Abraham was uniquely chosen by God, and Abraham had a unique role. He was uniquely chosen for a unique role. He would become the father of the faithful. And this is true on the surface of things. You don't even have to be a Christian to believe this. Abraham is looked to as the father of three of the world's largest religions. Abraham is the father of 14.7 million Jewish people, 1.9 billion Muslims, and 2.3 billion Christians. Just try to imitate that. Those are some big shoes to fill. And so in Genesis 12:1, when God calls Abraham, Abraham is uniquely called to a unique role. But the most important thing, uh, unique thing about Abraham is this. God's promises are to Abraham and his seed. Leading up to this point in Genesis, we've seen a lot of carnage. Adam rebels and ends up on the outside of Eden. Cain kills his brother and becomes a restless wanderer on the earth. Humanity devolves into violence and oppression, and God judges the earth with the flood. Humanity rebels at Babel, and God judges the earth with confusion and division It's not been a pretty picture. God has been gracious in that. 
He didn't obliterate all humanity, which he certainly could have justly done. He spared Adam and Cain and Noah. And now God starts afresh with Abraham. He doesn't destroy the rest of humanity, but he does focus his efforts as it were. God comes to Abraham and he makes promises to Abraham. And listen, listen to this carefully. There are no redemptive promises in the Bible to anyone other than Abraham and his seed. All of God's promises are to Abraham and his seed. A seed here just means children or, or child. Now that's uh, obvious here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, but there were promises before Abraham. Uh, the promise that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. And yet remember what Genesis is. Uh, we are tracing down that seed. Uh, the genealogies act like a where's Waldo of the seed of the woman. Uh, the, the book is a progressive narrowing down toward that child. And when we get to the Abraham story, what we find out is that the seed of the woman or the, the child of the woman will be a seed of Abraham. God's promises are all to Abraham and his seed. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, well, well what about the New Testament? Well, let me state this now, and I'm going to demonstrate it as I go, that all of God's promises, Old and New Testament, are promises to Abraham and his seed. There is no promise of God not to Abraham and his seed. Every promise of God is to Abraham and his seed. Which means if you want to receive God's promises, you have to be either Abraham or his seed. Uh, you can't, leave, can't be Abraham, so that only leaves one option open for you. So why is Abraham so important? Uh, first point, that God's promises are all to Abraham and his seed. And point two... Jesus is Abraham's seed. Uh, this is part of Abraham's uniqueness, of course. Uh, we all don't get to be ancestors of Jesus. History and biology don't work like that. Uh, but Paul makes this point in the New Testament explicitly and emphatically in Galatians 3.16. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. Paul is playing off the, the grammatical use of the word seed or offspring. Seed can be either singular or plural. Uh, I can have one seed or a bag full of seed. And Paul says the promises were made to Abraham and his seed and his offspring, singular, and that seed or offspring of Abraham is Jesus. And notice what Paul's point is not in Galatians 3. Uh, Abraham had a number of sons, actually. Uh, there was Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, after the death of Sarah, Abram uh, remarried and had other sons, according to Genesis chapter 25. And because of the way the Hebrew word for son and father work, Isaac's children are also considered Abraham's offspring, and Isaac's children's children, and so on. Abraham will become the father of the whole nation of Israel. And Paul in Galatians 3.16 is not saying Jesus, like so many other Israelites, is also a child of Abraham. That, that would be true, but that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that there is something unique about Jesus. He is the singular seed of Abraham. He stands out among all the rest. Paul is saying that the promises which God gave to Abraham and his seed were given to Abraham and Abraham's seed, Jesus. 
Paul is saying that God, who, who, who knew his plan from the start, made promises to Abraham, which were ultimately to be fulfilled only in Jesus. Uh, perhaps you'll remember in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, uh, when Mary and, and both Mary and Zechariah rejoice in what God is doing, they both sing songs at that point in Luke 1, and they both mention Abraham. Uh, Mary says in Luke 1, 54 to 55, that God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Christ's coming is a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Zechariah says in Luke 1, 73, that Jesus' coming was in remembrance of his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Jesus is uniquely Abraham's seed, the fulfillment and heir of all of God's promises. Now, you might wonder, well, when did Jesus receive the promises given to Abraham? And well, we'll get to that, of course, as we look at the Abraham story week after week in weeks to come. But uh, we can um, give at least four answers to that question broadly. And the first is in Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Jesus received all authority in heaven and on earth. He received the land promised to Abraham and more. It was all given to Jesus. Second, in his ascension, Jesus received the name that is above every name and the fullness of the Spirit, the source of all of God's blessings. Third, from Pentecost till today, Jesus has become the father of many nations as the nations come to Christ and they find their blessing in him. And finally, on the last day, when men from every tribe, tongue, and nation will finally find their blessing in Jesus. So Jesus, as the seed of Abraham, has, is, and will receive the fullness of all the promises that God has given to Abraham. And so why is Abraham important? The the first reason is God's promises are all to Abraham and his seed. The second reason is that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. He is the heir of God's promises. All of God's promises that are yes and amen in Christ are yes and amen in Christ because they were first promised to Abraham and his seed, who is Christ. And so do you see, maybe a little bit, begin to see why Abraham is so important? Apart from Abraham, there are no promises. They're given to Abraham beginning right here. Apart from Abraham, there's no seed of Abraham can't have a child if he doesn't exist, which means apart from Abraham, there is no Jesus. The whole story of Jesus goes back to this point. And so if you're a Christian out there, I hope that you feel a pull to Abraham's story, right? This matters. And this is part of God's plan for Jesus. And so a part of God's plan for you in Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to see that this book, the Bible, is telling one story about God's promises, about God's purposes to bless the nations, and those purposes center on the seed of Abraham, Jesus the Messiah. Point three, we are Abraham's seed in Jesus. Who are the offspring of Abraham? Uh, There are at least three answers to that question. First, you could say, well, the physical descendants of Abraham are Abraham's offspring. In this sense, both Isaac and Ishmael are children of Abraham. As we look at the Abraham story, we will learn of these two children, one born out of human effort, one born out of God's promise. Both are physical descendants of Abraham. But the Old Testament tells us that it is not, that that is not how Abraham's seed are reckoned. Uh, Paul says in Romans 9, picking up on this, he says, not all who are descended from Israel 
belong to Israel. Israel is the nation that comes forth from Abraham. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But, Paul goes on, quoting the Old Testament, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but, Paul continues, the children of the promise are counted as offspring. The children of Abraham are not children of the flesh, but children of promise. Not Ishmael, but Isaac. And so second, there is a narrower definition of Abraham's children. Not children of the flesh, but children of promise. And we'll come back to this in just a second. And of course, the third answer, Paul's answer that we've already seen, is that Jesus is the child of promise. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And so who are the offspring of Abraham? We have three answers. The children of the flesh, Ishmael, Isaac, and more. Uh, children of the promise, and Jesus. Now, most of us in this room, I think, are not Abraham's children in the flesh. None of us are Jesus. So again, that gives us only one option. We must become children of promise. What does that mean? Well, let's dive deeper into what it means to be children of promise. Paul says this in Galatians 4.28. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Ishmael, Paul says, is a child of the flesh. And Paul compares those in ethnic Israel, physically descended from Abraham, who were persecuting the early church at that time. He compares them to Ishmael, children of the flesh. But the Galatians, those in the church, Jew and Gentile, were like Isaac, children of promise. We were not born children according to the flesh, but we became children through God's promise. And Paul puts uh, this another way in Romans 4. Paul says Abraham was, quote, the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so who is Abraham the father of, according to Paul? Gentiles who believe, and Jews who are not merely Jews in the flesh, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith. And so believing Gentiles and believing Jews are the children of Abraham. Abraham is the father of those who have faith. Those who believe are the seed of Abraham. And Paul goes on in, in Romans 4.16. He says, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his, that is Abraham's, offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, you might wonder, how does believing make us Abraham's children? On the one hand, it's because we share this trait of faith with Abraham. To be a son of something in Hebrew, that, that language, son of something, uh, means to bear some resemblance to that thing. And so we are sons of Abraham the man of faith, when we have faith. Uh, but Paul is really saying something more, and he explains how faith makes us Abraham's children in Galatians 3. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Faith, according to the scriptures, unites us to Christ 
Christ, who is the seed of Abraham. And if you are Christ's, Paul says, then and only then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The children of Abraham are not the children of the flesh, but the children of the promise. And this is why there is no doubt in Galatians uh, 6 that when Paul says, peace and mercy be upon the Israel of God, he's actually talking about the church. Notice what comes before that statement. In Galatians 6, 15, Paul says, for neither circumcision, being Jewish, counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, being a Gentile, but a new creation, being in Christ. And as for all who walk by this rule, that what matters is not being Jew or Gentile, but being in Christ. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Who is Israel? Abraham's offspring. Who are Abraham's offspring? Neither Jew nor Greek, neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, but those who are in Christ by faith. So the children of promise not the children of the flesh. Isaac, not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. Rahab, not Achan. Uh, we, 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 we must not miss that this is not an exclusively New Testament teaching. In the book of Joshua, Achan, uh, though he was an ethnic Israelite, did not inherit the land. But Rahab, a Gentile prostitute, did inherit the land. Why? Because she walked by faith while Achan did not. Uh, see, there are some who teach that, that God has actually two different peoples, two different tracts, ethnic Israel and the church, and that he has different blessings for one and the other, but what God has joined together, they have separated. Right? In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. Ephesians 2, 14 to 15, for Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. This is what was promised to Abraham and prefigured again and again in the history of Israel. It should, it should not have been a surprise when Jesus came, and yet it was. Paul even calls it a mystery. In Ephesians 3, 6, he says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. When you believe in Jesus, you are brought into Abraham's family. You become a member of Israel, which means, as Paul says, you become an heir according to promise. So why is Abraham important? Well, point one, God's promises are all to Abraham and his seed. Secondly, Jesus is the seed of Abraham. He is the heir of God's promises. And third, we are heirs of God's promises in Jesus by faith. If you want to receive the promises of God, believe in Jesus. Become a child of Abraham, and all of God's promises will find their yes in Jesus for you. So those are the first three points. They have to do with the uniqueness of Abraham. God gave promises to Abraham and his seed. Jesus is Abraham's seed, the heir of those promises, and we are Abraham's seed in Jesus by faith. But there's a final point, uh, which is that Abraham is the model of the pilgrimage of faith. Now, we'll talk about this more next week, but I need to say it in order to, to balance out what we've been talking about so far. While we can't be Abraham... There are aspects of Abraham's life that we are called to imitate. And I've already mentioned it, but let's take a moment to notice it. Listen again to what Paul says in Romans 4, 9 through 12, after talking about the blessing of forgiveness. 
Paul says we are to believe like Abraham believed. He says this, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? That is, is it for Jews only? For we say, Paul goes on, that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he had been circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose, that is the reason these things happened like this in the Old Testament, according to Paul, was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. See, we are to believe like Abraham, Jew and Gentile, to have faith like Abraham. And there are two aspects of this faith of Abraham worth pointing out. The first is is right there in the Romans 4 passage, that Abraham received the blessing of forgiveness by faith before he was circumcised. And we'll read about that in Genesis 15, 6, which says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was, quote, justified by faith. Justification is just a, a fancy word for counted righteous. Why was Abraham counted righteous? Was it because he was a good person? No. That's not what the text says. Was it because he kept the Jewish law? No. Paul's whole point is Abraham did not have what, it, what is a basic requirement of the law at that point, circumcision. So he could not have been justified because he kept the Jewish law. So why was Abraham counted righteous before God? Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified through faith. In the same way, all who share the faith of Abraham are justified by faith. We are justified by faith because Christ has borne our sin, taken our penalty, borne the curse that we deserve. Now, you might say, how could Abraham have been justified because of Jesus? Jesus had not yet come. Well, here's what Jesus himself says about that in John 8. Uh, Jesus says to his Jewish contemporaries, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am Jesus had not yet come in Abraham's day, but Abraham looked for and longed for Jesus' coming. Hebrews says of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Hebrews 11, 13, that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. See, Abraham knew, however shadowy his knowledge might have been, that God would come and make things right. He believed God, and he longed for that day. And we know more clearly that God has come and made things right in Jesus. And so we, together with Abraham, are made right with God through faith in Jesus. Now, there's a second aspect of Abraham's faith that I want to point out. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, there's an entire chapter spent pointing us to past examples of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. And one significant example is Abraham. Twelve verses are given to Abraham's story, and I I read one of them just a moment ago. And these verses highlight one key aspect of how Abraham is a model of faith for us. And, And again, we'll go deeper into this next week, but let me give an overview now that God called Abraham in Genesis 12 to leave his home and family and to go to a place that God would show him. Abraham left not knowing where he was going. Abraham's life was then spent as a pilgrim in a strange land. He lived in the promised land, 
but as a pilgrim. In the same way, we are pilgrims and strangers here. This world is not our home. And yet this world is our home. The scripture says that on the last day at Christ's return, God will renew the earth. And this world renewed will be our eternal home. So this world simultaneously both is and is not our home. And so so Christians are pilgrims in the promised land awaiting the day when we will inherit the earth, just like Abraham. That kind of pilgrim mentality is not easy. We tend to want to settle down or disconnect. Abraham is a model of faithful engagement as a pilgrim, and we will read his story with that in mind. Abraham is a model of faith, a faith that justifies the uncircumcised, that is, that makes us right with God regardless of who we are in the flesh, and a faith that obeys God even in the face of the unknown because it is looking for a home, a city whose architect and builder is God. And so why is the, the Abraham story so important? Well, all of God's promises are to Abraham and his seed. Jesus is that seed, the seed of Abraham. And we are Abraham's seed in Jesus and by faith. Abraham then becomes for us, his children, a model of the life of faith. And so look to Abraham, your father in the faith. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and step out into a life of pilgrimage awaiting your eternal inheritance in the land. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that as we, as we look at Abraham, uh, that we would see Jesus ultimately, that we would see Jesus, the seed of Abraham, Jesus, the object of Abraham's faith, and that we would see the heavenly inheritance that Jesus has purchased for us, that Abraham longed for and that we now long for in him. Father, grow our faith as we walk in the footsteps of our father Abraham, the man of faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.